Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as a sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that he that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we break in one bread. Thanks be to God. Continuing in our study of Matthew's Gospel, and we come to chapter 4, to the temptation of our Lord Jesus. And uh, the plan is to spend three seconds at this text. There's so much here. Uh, But I want this morning to read the entirety and to talk first about the lessons that we need to heed that come to the text of the text, the scene itself, and then go back and look at the first temptation, which you find in verses 3 and 4. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike them. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And I want just to read again verses 3 and 4 because we'll come back and focus on those. The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Child, uh, the humorist and the bon vivant and playwright, uh, among his many oft-quoted sayings, said, I can resist anything as temptation. And sadly, too many of us are more like Oscar than we are like Jesus. Uh, there is, I fear, within the grace movement in the church today, an almost monomaniacal focus only on what Christ has done for us in justification, praise God, but very little on what does in us by grace, 
regeneration, being born anew, leading to sanctification, growing up into the likeness of Christ. This is our calling as God's people. And our sin and the sin and rebellion of our first parents caused the beautiful garden in which God had placed humanity to become a wilderness of thorns and thistles from which we must eke our living by the sweat of our brow and women give birth with pain and agony. And Jesus, to redeem us, of course, went to the wilderness in order to bring us back to all the goodness and grace and glory and beauty of life in Christ. And I want us, as I said, first just to think for a few minutes about the context, because in the context, we find both two strong warnings and two strong encouragements. What I mean by that? Well, remember, those of you who were here last week or those of you who are familiar with Matthew's gospel, that the last scenes that we had at the end of chapter 3 are of Jesus going down to the Jordan, joining people who need to repent of their sins. And even though John said, why are you coming? He said, it is fitting that we now fulfill all righteousness. And it's Jesus identified with us and even began to bear our sins and our sorrows from the beginning of his public ministry right there in the waters of baptism. And what does God the Father, I, I mentioned last week, this is one of the great Trinitarian scenes in the gospel where the Son is here on our behalf and the Father's behalf, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon him. The voice of God, the Father speaks and says, this is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I mean, we're so used to this. We know this is how his ministry began. He was baptized, the heavens were opened, the Spirit descended like a dove. Right there, we see it depicted, the dove descending, and uh, what, what is there for us? Brothers and sisters, imagine experiencing anything akin to that. A Pentecostal moment such as the people of God experienced in Acts chapter 2. When at last the heavens are rent and the Spirit comes on you in power. I don't know about you, but I would think everything's going to be different now. I don't think I'm even going to be tempted by sin. And what's the first thing that the Spirit does upon Jesus? The Spirit leads him into the wilderness in order to be tempted. Thanks a lot. In fact, Mark puts it in even stronger language. The word Mark uses for the Spirit sending him out is it's usually interpreted he, he uh, cast him, or uh, I don't remember how the ESV does, it's the same word that is used when Jesus cast out demons. The Spirit now has full possession. And what's the first thing he does? He throws him out in the water to be tempted. So two lessons we must never forget. Number one, there is no spiritual experience so high, so great, and so glorious that we are now beyond temptation. In fact, many of the old writers said that for those who are filled powerfully with the Holy Spirit, 
the seminary that God immediately sends them to is the wilderness cemetery. I've always since seminary made that Freudian slip. I call seminary cemetery. Hopefully, you know. Okay, confessions. Um, it takes at least seven years to recover from seminary. That's just for any of you interested. Great, I recommend it. It's, not, it's great, but yeah, it's a wilderness too. So Jesus is cast out. We, if we have powerful times of renewal and revival in our own lives, should be aware that they were followed by serious temptation, both because we have an enemy who wants to rob us of that, and as we'll see in a moment, because we have who wants there to make us strong in him. But that's the first strong warning. Don't go running after spiritual experiences because you think that if you have a high enough experience, you'll be beyond the reach of temptation. Secondly, just from the location, don't think that there's some wilderness place that you go to in order to escape temptation. That was the mistake of the monastic fathers. Some of the church fathers wrote about the early monastics with great admiration, but nonetheless, all of the testimony was that these people had left the wicked cities of the Roman Empire in order to get away from it and just focus themselves on the Lord. And of course, what they discovered was that Satan was able to follow them there. And for those of us who know ourselves, even worse, we follow ourselves there. I can't get away from myself. Ultimately, what I discover is that it is my own Babylonian heart, my own fleshly inclinations, my own carnality, and I can cut everybody else out, and I cut myself. So there is no wilderness to which you can go to escape temptation. There is no spiritual experience so high that you can escape temptation. Here are the two encouragements. Number one, temptation is not sin. Often we feel when we are strongly tempted that it's because we're, we're just broken sinners. And we think, how can the Lord, if I want to do that after all these years, what's the sense continuing to try to follow? I guess I'm just so wrecked. No. Jesus, the Bible tells us, was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. We are temptable because we live in a world filled with temptation. And we will be tempted as long as we live. And sometimes we will think that we put some things away forever and we're focusing on other things and then we realize that somehow during the night that box at the bottom of the ocean opened up and the tentacles are coming back. <laughs> we go, where's that coming from? I thought I dealt with that 10 years ago. So we are temptable, but don't let the enemy beat you when you're tempted. Because Jesus was tempted, as you and I are tempted, yet without sin. And in fact, the longer we battle and don't give up, the stronger we become, as we will see. That's one of the ways that God in his grace grows us up. The second piece of good news, the second word of encouragement is 
that even though there is nowhere that we can go to get away from the enemy, there is nowhere that we can go where our Lord will abandon. And he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And he loves through his children to defeat the enemy over and over again. He is with you in the places that most terrify you. If you've come here today thinking that you are too bad, that your life is too broken, that the bondage that has held you for so many years, let me give you good news. You're just a little too arrogant about your brokenness and sin. There are much bigger sinners than you probably here. Uh, There is no sin that he cannot free you from. There is no guilt and shame that he has not covered in his sacrifice. So the good news is he calls us here to make us his, to give us his spirit, and then to show us as his people how to resist the end. These three temptations shown us in Jesus' own story are simply forms of what John, we saw in our first study together, what John in 1 John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Those are all connected. They run into each other, and yet we have them sort of threaded apart in these relations. And so we're going to look now. That was about half of it, so don't start worrying. Um, We're going to look now just at the first temptation in the way that I want us in the next look at each of these temptations. Remember, Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones to bread, and Jesus responds, and Satan goes. So what's going on here? To understand it, I like to think about these in terms of the the point of the temptation, and by that I mean the driving point, the, the spear as Satan comes. What's that point that's being thrust in when we're tempted in this particular way? And then, what's the purpose of it? How are we to resist it? So the the point, the torque of this thing comes for two reasons, because it is personal and it is concrete. The temptation came to Jesus, not to his disciples. This is not Jesus as Lord looking at others around him being tempted and going to defend them. Jesus being tempted, it is concrete. I don't have any problem resisting temptation for you. I'm great about the stuff you struggle with. My problem is when he comes after me. It is personal and it is concrete. Jesus has been fasting for four days and he's hungry. Uh, I once back in the 90s with some friends praying about a specific issue, just juice fasted for a month. Um, It wasn't water fast, it was, but nonetheless, uh, I have enough memory of that to realize, my goodness, if he didn't have the nourishment of juice, if he's, you know, where it's hot, and he, for 40 days, is not eating anything. 
He's going to be exhausted. He's going to be at the, at the end of his physical resource. He's going to need to eat. And so the enemy is coming to him, you know, at the very point that had to be constantly before him. And so it's good for us to ask, what right now in your life, in my life, that we think we cannot live without? What is it that gives us a sense of thing? Jesus is not being tempted to some great wickedness, at least not on the surface. He's being tempted by the 40 days, and you have the capacity to, to get food, nourishment, nourish yourself. If you're going to continue your ministry, you need nourishment. Eat something. It's a good thing. God's good. And I wonder what you and I are tempted to value more than we value the one who gave it to us. And to think apart from that, I cannot really know him and serve him and love him. For some, it might be a child. It might be our marriage. It might be ministry, where that has become more important to us than the one who entrusted it to us. The purpose is not to get Jesus to eat. The purpose is threefold. The purpose is first to simply raise in Jesus' mind. He's weakened physically. And so what are the words that the enemy uses? The father has said, this is my son whom I love. And so the enemy comes and says, if you are the son of God, just that little bit of doubt. It's how he always acts in, in that painful story of the temptation of our first parents. What does the serpent say to Eve? He does say, I'm the devil, I'm here to destroy everything. You know, she'd never, she'd still be running. He said, let's talk about God. I believe in him too. Let's talk about God's word. Let's have a theological discussion. I'm just curious, has God really said this? Has he really said that you can't eat any of the... Oh, no, no, he said, it's just this we can't. Oh, I don't know, would, would God really... That's how he always comes, doesn't he? We don't recognize him. We think we're just, But we're thinking, I don't think God would want me to be unhappy. I think he wants me to flourish. That's the big talk now for bringing every kind of in. Human flourishing, baby. So he wants to say, would God really say this? If you're going to flourish, if you're going to be happy, if you're going to be fulfilled, just that little bit of doubt. You can follow God, believe in him all you want. Jesus died for you. But right here at this one point, has God really said that you're to be faithful? Has God really said that you're to be honest in all? And so he wants to get you to the next point where doubting God, you then presume to be your own father instead. They said, we'll decide what's right and wrong. We'll eat of this. And then we'll know what's right and wrong, and we will be autonomous. Autonomous means a law unto oneself. Nomos is the Greek word for law, a self-law. I'm going to be autonomous. I'm going to be in charge of my life. That's what we love. You know, 
Sinatra is on. It's the American way. And that's what, when we think that we are a law to ourselves, answerable to no one but ourselves, we're almost to the because the third thing that he wants is to destroy him. Make no mistake, the enemy is after you and me to destroy spiritual. And if he can do that, well, then he's got what he wants because he's destroyed. His destruction is sure. He knows it. It's to destroy us. And if you're thinking, I can't believe I'm in a place where these people believe in, in the devil. If you don't recognize that there's more reality than you and I can taste and touch and see, then you are prime pickings for the enemy. Paul says, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's our real wrestling. That's what's so wrong in the culture war where we demonize one another, agree with people, we point and act as though they're the problem. They're not the problem, they're victims of the, of the problem. They've fallen for the lies. And so he wants to destroy time. I used to be a real, kids put your fingers in yours. I used to be a chain smoker all the way through the days of the service. I was from North Carolina, what do you expect? It was, you know, just being a good citizen, <laughs> buying the main product. But I'll never forget one day on the Boston subway, and it was sort of the beginning of the end of smoking for me. There was a, a poster back when they used to advertise for cigarettes, and it showed this great-looking man and woman next to each other, arms around each other, feet in the stream, kind of just green, verdant, metal tree. It's just gorgeous scene. And then I noticed again what I knew, which I'm looking at it thinking, oh, gosh, I can't wait to light up. And then I flex the Surgeon General's warning. And I realized, here's this beautiful picture, and I've got these things in my pocket, and, and the little sign says, but I will kill you. <laughs> you know? And that, that's it, baby. That's the whole thing. That's where the enemy wants to take us with everything. It's just want to destroy you, but it will come in such appealing package that we think, if, if I don't get this, if I can't have this, I'm going to miss something. I'm going to miss out on something. That's the lie. And his aim is to destroy. So how then are we to resist? Exactly the way that Jesus did. By the spirit within using the word. The sword of the spirit, Paul said, when he enumerates the gospel armor, piece of armor with which we strike back it is the word of God and what does Jesus do you know if you're in a Bible you're early on you might just be getting up to close to Deuteronomy I'm in Leviticus still but I'm almost to Deuteronomy and it's easy to read it and think what does this have to me in all three temptations Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy. Our first lesson, not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Satan, back to what? 
I would ask you, first of all, have you been born again? But you know, that, that regeneration is all through the New Testament. It wasn't just John 3 where Jesus said it to Nicodemus. He said, you must understand these things. But regeneration is a theme throughout. And until God has saved you, until he's put his Holy Spirit in your regenerate. Until then, you can study his word, you can teach his word, you can know his word, but you cannot, in the depth, be transformed by it. You say, well, I hope so. How do I know? It's what we tried to deal with at the first. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you love the people of God increasingly following Jesus and finding that his commandments are no longer a burden, but they are a privilege and a pleasure. And when you break his commandments, does it break your heart? That's what happens when we're born anew. And if you don't know yet, just cry out to him and ask him, say, Look, I want to be yours. Send me your spirit, and I, I can promise you that he will. How can a Calvinist promise someone that? Jesus promised. Jesus said, if unrighteous fathers give good gifts to their children, and if their child asks for bread, he won't give them a fish, he won't give them a snake, how much more will your heavenly Father give his spirit to those who ask? So you ask him. Cry out and say, I'm here and I've made a mess of it and I want to be yours. And he'll send his spirit and he'll begin doing a work in you. You've got to get his word in you. You've got to get that. The more of his word you have in you, the more you memorize, the bigger and sharper that sword gets and the more ready you are for battle. God will bring it. That beautiful passage from 1 Corinthians 10 that was our second lesson where Paul says there has no temptation but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not let you be tempted above what you're able to take he will make a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it when you and I fold up when we sin as sin we do it's because we gave up not because the enemy was too strong. One illustration, and we'll prepare for the table. I may have shared this with you in the past. Forgive me if I did. Um, Kyle Rote Jr. was a great American soccer player and a great all-round athlete. And when they started having that, I think they called it the Superman competition from top athletes and put them through all kinds of things, he kept winning it every year to the point where finally they disqualified. You couldn't win it. Well, I think he won it five times. And finally, they disqualified him. So, they, well, that's the kind of guy he was. He was a real stud. And he married a lovely woman from the first church that I served. And she was great, great. She is. She's a great lady. But he wanted her to run. That's why his book. And we were all running, thinking we'd live forever. So she was, okay, I'll run. So, you know, you got to run this course. So one time, she was out running, and a neighbor's dog went after her and just chewed her up. And... I mean, she was okay, but she said, at least I'm not going to have to keep running. You know, he'll have, he'll have mercy on me. But Kyle came home, gave her mace, 
the next guy comes after you, you spray his face, and he'll never do it again. And at first I thought, man, then I thought, that's a great sermon illustration. Because when you and I, it doesn't mean the dogs aren't going to come after us, and it doesn't mean that they won't be scary, and it doesn't mean that if we refuse to use the gospel again, but the fact is we never need be chewed up again, ever. Because God has given us his spirit and his word and his community, his meal to feed us, and as we receive it in faith, again, it's a participation, as Paul went on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, it is a participation, a koinonia in his body and blood. So if you're sorry for your sins and you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, I invite you to come to this meal, not because you're strong, but because you're weak, good, but because you're in need of God's goodness and grace. Come because you love the Lord a little and you long to love him so much more. Come because he loves you, give himself for you.